Philippians 1, 21 through 30. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only to let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not to, excuse me, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. All right, and since it is daylight savings time, that gives me a permission to go an hour longer for this message. So, Josh, good luck in there. Um, yeah, let's, uh, <laughs> let's open with a word of prayer. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you so much for all the things that you continue to do in and through us, Lord. I pray that as your church, we continue to be agents of your love as we continue to share the gospel message that you are Lord. Lord, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Men. Well, it is good to see you guys here. For all of you ladies online, welcome. Uh, it is good to be here to start our new sermon series, which is a four-week sermon series into the book of Philippians. And these four weeks will lead us all the way up until Advent, which is the beginning of December, which means that the holidays are so close. How many of you guys have already started doing uh, Christmas shopping? How many of you guys have, oh, a couple of you guys. How many of you guys have already finished of those. None of you guys. All right. Well, I hear that it's going to be rough this season. But anyways, uh, these four weeks, we're going to be able to take a chapter of Philippians and kind of walk through the book of Philippians and see what Paul is doing in this letter that he writes to the people of Philippi. And it gives us a chance to be able to see what this means for us in our daily walk with Jesus as well. But as we always do, I would love to give some context into this book before we dive into chapter one, because it's so important for us to understand where Paul is coming from as he shares these words, as he shares this letter to the people in Philippi. Uh, there was this gospel movement that was happening in Philippi. Paul had started his ministry in about AD 45, and he got to Philippi around AD 50. And so by this time, Paul is preaching the gospel, sharing the message with uh, these people in Philippi, and, and Philippi was under Roman rule. It was actually considered a Roman colony, and so they took in a lot of Roman culture, uh, their ways of life. They followed the government in that way, and so they were considered a, a, under Roman rule as a Roman colony. And, and Paul, when he gets to Philippi, which you can read in Acts 16, he, he goes to uh, Philippi, and he engages with a woman named Lydia, which I think the kids learned about a few weeks ago, this story, and through Lydia, started to plant this church in Philippi. She, she came to understand the gospel. Her and her household were baptized, and they started to create this church with a couple of other faithful women, which is amazing. And by now, this letter that we're about to read is actually 10 years after Paul plants this church in Philippi. 
And if you think about that, that's actually longer than Acts Church Lander has been around, which is kind of crazy. But by now, at this point, the church in Philippi is already this well-oiled machine that's serving the city and serving the people that are there, right? And, and again, the church was started through, through faithful women as they continued to, to gather other people and other house churches together in Philippi together. And, and there was a situation that happened when he was in Philippi, Paul. Paul was with Silas, and he was sharing the gospel, and the people of this Roman rule and this Roman colony were not happy. They were causing a lot of disruption as they shared the gospel. It was being very countercultural to what they were facing in their regular life. So, unfortunately, Paul and Silas get arrested, and they go to jail. So, so now they're convicts, and they're in jail, but as they're in jail, they're praying and singing songs and hymns and praising God that they have this opportunity to be able to share the gospel, and that they're being persecuted for it. And all of a sudden, something happens, that this earthquake happens, and and the walls break open, and and they're able to get out of jail. But they stay. And the jailer, the jail guard that was there, sees that there's an opportunity for them to escape, and he's like, oh, man, if they escape and they leave, people are going to kill me. I might as well end my life now because it's just going to be all over for me. And Paul and Silas stop them. He's like, no, 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 don't do that. And they share the gospel with them. And this jail guard comes to know who Jesus is, hears the gospel, and him and his whole family turn, repent, and they are baptized, and they're added to the church in Philippi. So, so there's a lot of things that was happening in the church in Philippi during this time. And so the church started with followers of Christ who were converted there. And the gospel was spreading rapidly wherever Paul went. And what's interesting about this letter to the Philippians is that this letter contains really no complaints about the things that they were doing. It's very unlike 1 Corinthians where they're like, Paul's like, you guys are doing terrible stuff. You guys need to turn and repent and change your ways. There's really no complaints, but it's filled with admiration and love for the people in Philippi. But as we all know, even when there's no obvious problems, even when there's no complaints in the life of ministry, in in life in general, Satan is still at work, right? Satan continues to still be at work. And so during this time in Philippi, as Paul is writing this letter, there, first off, he's in prison himself, and then there's persecution that's happening all around. And according to W. Simmons, this is what it says. It says, the Christians review as a foreign and deadly superstition. There were some dangerous Christians in Philippi during this time. And the gospel that's being proclaimed is being seen as a threat to Roman rule. Now, I think it's time for us to kind of take a step back and get an understanding of, well, what is the gospel that's being proclaimed here in this context? So, so the gospel literally means uh, good news. Everyone say good news. The gospel literally means good news. But in the face of persecution, in the face of death, in the face of imprisonment, it's kind of hard to see good news when you're surrounded by all of this despair, right? Even in your own lives, as you look around and you see the things in the news and in the media and social media or talking with other people, sometimes it's hard to see something that is good news. And yet, in spite of all the things that's happening, Paul is using words like rejoice and joy, and he's filled with thankfulness and love to this church in Philippi, even though he's imprisoned. Why is that? 
in the midst of something that is so dark and so sad, in the midst of persecution, for him sharing his faith with other people, he's still filled with joy and rejoicing and filled with thanksgiving. And I think this is key for us because what we have to understand is that this joy, this rejoicing, this thankfulness that he has is really kind of anchored in this text, not in Philippians chapter 1, but in Philippians chapter 2. And it's this poem that's written out, and I would encourage you guys to have a phone or a Bible to open up to Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 through 11, because it's seen as, as a poem. And this poem that's laid out in chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, is this proclamation of the gospel of who Jesus is. And this is the tether in which we kind of anchor ourselves to whenever we read this letter to the Philippians. All the things that Paul is doing in this place, all the things that he's writing is anchored to who Jesus is, which is laid out in chapter 2. And we're going to read just a bit of it, and I'm I'm stealing uh, Josh's week for next week with these verses. It says this, "'Have this mind among yourselves.'" which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though Jesus, he, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Uh, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so what's happening here is that this gospel that's being proclaimed, this this anchor, this tether that, that Paul is linking himself to is found in who Jesus is, who Jesus is, that he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And even though he died, God has exalted him and given him the name above every name so that all people, all nation, all tribe, all language would confess that this gospel, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, I think it's important because this is so countercultural to what they're experiencing during this time. And I just kind of want to break down these three words, Jesus is Lord. And the first question we can think of is, well, who is Jesus? Jesus is this Jesus of Nazareth who called himself the king of the Jews, associated himself with God the Father, claimed that he was God, did all of these different miracles, and yet hung out with some of the most broken people in society. That's the Jesus that Paul is trying to share. That's the Jesus in which the foundation of the church is founded upon. The second word, is. Jesus is. Not Jesus was. Jesus is. Is signifies that that this Jesus of Nazareth is still alive. That there are claims that people said that this Jesus of Nazareth was killed by Rome, hated by the Jewish people, beaten, and was claimed to be blasphemous, was hung on a Roman execution cross, yet the tomb where his body laid was empty on the third day. Not Jesus was, Jesus is. And then finally, the third word, Lord. This This word Lord is this position of authority that he has over all things. 
that, that he rules and he reigns, and that their allegiance, as you proclaim this gospel, that your allegiance is to Christ and not to Rome, something that is completely countercultural to everyone around, especially to the people who are living there. And not many people claimed allegiance to something else besides the ruler of the time, who was Nero, which he was so terrible, he was the worst dictator of all time, and he hated Christians. He was the one that started all this persecution of Christians, sent them to jail, and killed them. Jesus Christ is Lord. And so what's happening is that Paul is anchoring his circumstances and his position to Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 through 11. And he says this in Philippians 1, 12 through 13. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. He's positioning himself to these words that he's saying, he hangs on to that Jesus Christ is Lord. And and the place that I'm at, the position where I'm at, even though I'm in prison, that, that Jesus Christ is Lord above all things. And he says this in uh, uh, verse, oh, sorry. In 121, he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That, that my life is founded upon knowing that Jesus Christ is Lord, that no matter what circumstance I find myself in, I know that Jesus was obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. He, he's experienced the worst kind of situation ever, And he still lives to this day to proclaim that he reigns in whatever situation, whatever circumstance I find myself in. He says, to to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said, I can't can't tell which I want more. If if I live, it's for your sake to continue to advance this gospel that is is so rich so that other people can know that Jesus Christ is Lord as well. But, But if I die, then my experience is going to be with Christ in a resurrection like his, to be reunited with him. And this is so key because this is, again, going back to chapter 2 in Jesus Christ's humility and his example. And what's so important to catch, I think, this morning is that, that Paul is not anchoring his life and his circumstance to some pithy catchphrase of his time. He, he's not saying, well, I'm in prison, but, you know, the grass is greener on the other side, right? Or... Or I know God has a plan for my life, right? Paul recognizes the reality of where he's at in prison. I don't think Paul was smiling when he was getting beaten up by Roman rulers. He recognizes his position, but he anchors it to, well, I know what Jesus went through. And I know that he is king and Lord over all. And that changes my position and everything. There's this thing in our, in our culture that's been adopted, and it's something called toxic positivity. Have you guys heard this before? Well, there, there's this definition of toxic positivity, and it says this. It's this, the overgeneralization of a happy, optimistic state that results in the denial, minimization, and invalidation of the authentic human emotional experience. It denies all the things that you go through in your regular day-to-day life all the hardships, and you're like, no, life is good, life is great, without ever getting a chance to be able to sit and mourn and grieve through those experiences. It, Paul is not 
experiencing this. <laughs> Maybe you guys have seen this meme before. Uh, Paul is not sitting around with everything else burning around him. He's like, this is fine. This is great. It's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. Paul is anchoring himself to something that's way deeper, better, and more transformative. And he's trying to encourage the Philippians in that way as well. Because the gospel itself is not toxic positivity. And this is what he continues to say in, in verse one, or chapter 1, verse 27. He says, only let, oh, there we go, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. For the faith of the gospel. He says, I want you to live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. That your life is worthy because Jesus Christ is Lord. Live your life knowing that Jesus is Lord. He's gone through the experiences that no human can ever experience in death and in resurrection, which means there's hope for us in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. So, so the question for us is, how then do we live in the reality of this gospel that Jesus is Lord? Without it being toxic positivity, without saying pithy catchphrases or, or trying to steal uh, Christian verses like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that comes from Philippians chapter 4. What does it look like for us to be able to live in the gospel? Well, the first one is this. Embrace reality. It's so hard for us sometimes to embrace reality. Sometimes we just want to sugarcoat everything and act like things don't affect us and move us forward. And here's the beauty of it. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to mourn and to grieve and to experience dark times. That's, that's what being human is like. Jesus experienced that same thing. I was talking with Chrissy this morning, or was it last night? I don't remember. But Jesus cried when Lazarus died, knowing that he was going to resurrect him. He experienced reality. We have to embrace reality that sometimes we have to call a spade a spade, that life just sucks. Amen? We have to embrace reality in that. But, but we can't stay there. We have to stay in reality, but we can't, we can't just sit in it. The second one is this, to lean into the communities around you. It is so easy for us as humans to be able to, to just run the other direction whenever we're faced with hard times. There's this unspoken kind of stigma that you have to come into church best dressed with best behavior. Your kids have to behave. The, the church is a hospital for broken sinners who need the love of Jesus. Embrace that reality, but, but don't run away. I, embrace it. You are here surrounded by a group of people that love and care about you, and more so, Jesus loves them and loves you too. It's so easy for us in the fight-or-flight reaction to just continue to run. But we have to lean into the communities. That's what the church is for, to do life together. And the last one is this. 
it is to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That as we are doing life together, as we continue to struggle and wrestle and we come here as, as broken sinners in need of a Savior, to be able to be reminded that Jesus was human, but Jesus is also God. That God is God and, and we are not. That through our circumstances, through, through whatever we face, through Paul's imprisonment, he says, I, I want you to understand that Jesus Christ is Lord not just in your own life, not only the good times, but through all of it and through everyone as well. That as we come up to the table, as you guys take of the body and blood of Jesus, that when you look to your left and to your right, you guys are proclaiming together as a community of Christ that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we can embrace reality together and continue to proclaim that gospel message Let's pray. Lord, how good it is to be in this place this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your, your love and your grace. I thank you for your forgiveness, and I thank you for your body. That as we sit here and look to our left and to our right, as we see who's online, that we're reminded that we're not alone. That it's okay to not be okay. Father, I pray that during this time, in this moment of silence, Lord, we would offer up things that, that we won't sugarcoat, that we bring raw and unfiltered to your cross as we confess our brokenness and our hurts to you in this moment. Jesus, you are Lord. Not just when things are good, not just when things are bad. You, you are Lord over all things. Jesus, you reign. You saw your position as not something to boast about. But instead, you became like us. And, and you lived life among us. You experienced things like hunger and unrighteousness and pain and death. And in the face of those circumstances, Father, you sent your son Jesus in those moments. And Jesus, you went to the cross and you laid down your life. You were obedient to the Father to the point of death on a cross. And Father, we thank you so much for you raising Jesus so that the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord, we thank you for that sacrifice. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your body and your blood. We thank you for all the things that you continue to do for us, Lord. Fill us up with joy and rejoicing and thanksgiving as Paul had, even as he was in prison, as he was sharing the gospel. Father, give us the confidence, the motivation, your spirit to be able to continue to share that gospel message that you are Lord.
It's in your name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. And all God's people said, amen.